I have a friend who he does uh, maintenance for um, apartment complex that I won't mention. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently one of the, the women who is a single woman who lives alone was like, oh, I need you to fix my my sink in the bathroom. And he's so he goes in there. Jim, and, uh, Jim, I don't like where this is going one bit. <laughs> and, uh, I've seen this one he, <laughs> on Mega Upload. <laughs> he said he opened the he opened the cabinets underneath the sink and it was just filled with sex toys. Like she had like purposely left them there for him to see, and he was just oh. like, um. <laughs> "That's oh, a oopsie turtle." Didn't mean for you to see those, but uh, maybe. And then for some uh. reason, she kept saying she was his stepsister. <laughs> <laughs> Huh? You into this, huh? I heard the craziest story recently, and it was it fucking blew my mind. Uh, so uh, I won't name any names. A friend, a friend of mine, his friend said um, he had a Jehovah's Witness come to his door uh, mm-hmm. one day, and you know she was doing the whole oh, "Have you found the Lord Jesus Christ?" shit, and he was like, "Listen." He's like, "I'm not, you know, I, I don't tell tell you what. You come in here." And you have have a drink with me, and you can we can talk about whatever you want. Uh, so she ends up coming at going in and having a drink with him, and uh, water, they right? Up getting dr- no fucking oh. booze. Okay, juicy juice, uh, unexpected, uh, but, but go ahead. Uh, anyways, yeah. they ended up drinking together, and then they fucked. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, and that's, I was like, that that's is- one thing they don't teach you about Brigham Young is that he fucks. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, so I I sent it to our Slack conversation the other day. But man, I, I had I had a DoorDash order for the ages the other day. Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, back doing the gig economy feels good, man. Uh, not really, but it is what it is. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you saw it. It, it was uh, it was a Walgreens order, and uh, it was. Mostly lube, mostly sex jelly. So like, that would have been worse if it was a McDonald's order. It was mostly lube. <laughs> oh, you guys have the the desensitization gel? Oh, yeah. So there's like no, the, no. We this, took the number uh, eleven yeah. off the menu, sir. You have to go to Walgreens now. Well, I was gonna say, was it a situation where it was like a double dash where they ordered? Yeah, they ordered McDonald's and then they're like, oh, by the way, can you stop at Walgreens on the way home and pick up a fucking tub of lube? Great I question. Wish. Great question. <laughs> I wish oh. no. That, this, is, this is a this is a isolated order. Uh, so it was it was uh, you know I, I'm not going to go through the itemized list, but you know there there was a warming jelly, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was uh, a desensif uh, jelly for for men. So basically, you you put this on and it, and it uh, helps you last longer or something like that. Oh yeah yeah. Uh, so no judgment there, you know, if, yeah, if the guy's whatever. got, you know, premature issues, whatever. Uh, it, we are uh, a sex positive show, monster- goddammit. Everyone can do what they want. Yeah. Yeah, I went Listen, to... Uh, we're, we're, as, I as, went long to as, being, as long as it's yeah. within the, the confines of the law and no one is getting hurt and it, all adults are consensual. And I guess I shouldn't have to say this, but only adults are involved. We're, we're good. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're all adults here. We can be objective about, yes. about sex. Sure. Yeah, I, uh, we I went to my uh, I went to my pre-ejaculation meeting today. Turns out it's tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, also, on this on this shopping list, uh, 
two monster energy drinks, oh, God. Uh, a bag of cherry gummies, <laughs> like, like uh, those like Haribo cherry yeah. gummies, and, and then a chocolate bar, just a Hershey's bar. So like, you got you got it. I was guessing there there's going to be a fuck sesh happening. So a, if, um, if this is going on, a, like, a real life friend you, of mine that I have talked to you guys about before. I, I don't want to put him out. I don't call him out by name. Is it the donkey? I don't put him by blast. No, no, it's not the donkey named Jim. Uh, <laughs> no, a, uh, an actual friend of mine was going to meet up with his girlfriend at the time uh, to to engage in uh, adult behaviors. And on the way, he stopped at, uh, it was like a CVS or a Walgreens or whatever, so he was picking up condoms. But he was on the way, and like this being Boston, and uh, you know all of us being in our 20s at the time, and having to rely on buses to get where you're going, you're not getting somewhere for maybe 45 minutes from when you get to that bus stop oh, to yeah. when you get to the door of where you're going. So... He's like, oh, okay, so he went down the candy aisle, got himself a bunch of different kinds of candy, and then went and got the condoms, and he's like, oh, I'm probably gonna get thirsty with all this candy on the way, so then he went and got himself a chocolate milk, and then he plopped it all down <laughs> on the counter, and only then, when it all, like, was laid out in front of him, did he realize, this may not look good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, he was, he was completely innocent, but... I don't know what you're up to tonight, but count me out. <laughs> so, Patrick, did you, uh, oh, Patrick, did you hand this delivery? Did you oh, hand yes. deliver so, it? So I, did you get I to see the, the, uh... to the good part yet? Okay, so keep going. Oh, I, fuck. I, um, yeah, so I, I, I got everything. In. There's some, uh, you know, energy drinks, candy. Uh, Player sex, three has like, entered the game. Uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> wow, the state house is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I I plug in the address. Uh, it, it's like invalid for for some reason. It's like there's no house number. I don't know what the fuck happened. That is uh, that is. I tried calling her a bunch of times. No, no, that is that is your like, first indicator no... that you cancel that order and you do not try to find this place that doesn't exist that wants you to bring all that lube there. <laughs> <laughs> you see that was smart but you know I, I i was you know i wanted the money you know i, I i've done worse things for money i've done worse things for five dollars uh so i i you know i call her up a bunch of times get no answer get no answer i finally like text and it's like listen like i don't got an address here this is fucking weird uh i'm gonna cancel the order uh two seconds later i get a phone call uh Oh my God! I'm so sorry. I I didn't put in the correct address. I'm at, I'm at the Ballantine uh, Hotel. Now Ballantine is like a part of Charlotte. It's a very like very rich, hoity-toity part of the city. Uh, and this hotel is like fucking enormous. Uh, she's on the seventh floor. Uh, so I had to like reverse direction and, and head off to the hotel to drop this off up on the seventh floor. Uh, and yeah, when I opened the door, it, there was a okay, uh, young woman in a bathrobe who, you know, we're all adults here. She she was flushed. She she had the quote unquote glow of somebody who has just been in a fuck sesh for like. The hey, past uh, I'm gonna stop day. you for one second, Christopher. Can you do me a favor? Can you can you please put message to Harry Mann back behind this whole story? <laughs> <laughs> Another accident? You know, I'm involved with black magic. Fuck you. Die. Bastard, you think you're so cool, huh? Oh. And if I ever see you... For all time's sake. <laughs> I'll see if I can find an instrumental of it. John. 
<laughs> Send it off to John for the sex noises. <laughs> As he is now an expert. Anyway, so so it, it, that that I mean, just all of this just painted a, 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 an enormous picture in my mind. And then I got a fifteen dollar tip at the end of it. Yeah, so that good. was pretty nice. <laughs> so everyone everyone was happy at the end of the day. I, I think slash hope. That's all you can really hope for. So I, I got a weird, unrelated hotel story that I don't think I've ever told here before. Did I ever tell you guys about the hotel that I was in, uh, where a hallway scared the living shit out of me? A hallway? No. Yes. <laughs> was this like a shining situation? Kinda. So, uh, I mean, I was in Utah at the time, if that helps. So my, my dad had a uh. really weird business um, when I was in late high school, early adulthood. And basically, he owned a company that leased and refurbished x-ray machines. So the basically what he would do is like if a if a hospital was getting a brand new X-ray machine in, usually there would be some downtime between when the old one was ripped out and then when the new one was put in. So he'd have one that would go in there for like the six weeks in between or whatever. And it was like a weird niche market, but it was um, it was a cool gig and it enabled me and my siblings to travel a lot, going to various places to do various things, such as Salt Lake City. Uh, where we were, oh I think, boy! I think we were doing a trade show at one point there. I, I, City yeah. of brotherly love. Yeah, we were doing a trade show there. It was right before nine eleven, and um, this is not related to it. But um, my brother was trying to get out of the airport there, and by out of the airport, I mean onto the plane. He had a letter opener on him, and this is like two months prior to nine eleven. We're in August of uh, of one, or no, one month prior. And he uh, he has a letter opener, and the security guy is just like, uh, "Sir, I can't let you on with this." And it's a letter opener. It's like that little U-shaped piece of plastic with like a tiny blade in it. He's like, "I yeah. can't let you on oh, this." Yeah, yeah. And my mother was there too because it was a trade show, so we were kind of like all just being family business, or whatever, at the uh, at the booth. And I'm off to the side talking to him, like, "I fucking hate the city." fucking hate the city. The city won't fucking let us go. They're all just trying to fucking convert us. This fucking security guard here, he's a fucking piece of shit. And I challenge anyone to talk that way in front of an NSA agent today. <laughs> oh, yeah. But anyway, at, at, at the hotel at uh, Salt Lake City, uh, when we got settled in, uh, I usually like to kind of scout around in a hotel when I first get there. Like, I, I scout out the room and everything, find out where everything is, but then I like to find out where, like, the ice is, where the vending machines are, like, that that sort of thing, just where the various amenities are. So, usually that entails, like, walking down a couple floors or whatever and, like, walking down the hallways until you find whatever you're looking for. So, yeah. there was this one hallway, like, a couple floors down from ours that uh, I started walking down at one end and I'm like alright I don't think I see anything here and as I'm walking down I notice that I'm getting noticeably more anxious as I'm walking down towards the other end and I can't see anything around me to give me any rationale for why I'm feeling this way so I keep walking and I'm like this is fucking weird and by the time I got to the end of the corridor I was like at a brisk walk like almost jogging when I got to the stairs to like run back up to the next floor so I went back into the room and told my brother about it and I'm like yeah yeah you gotta go down like two floors same side we're on, get off the elevator, and then just walk to the right. So he's like, oh, that's interesting. This is my same brother I was telling you about earlier, who's, uh, he's like 13 and a half, 14 years older than me, and uh, is the one who introduced me to like Zeppelin and Floyd and all that back in the day. And he's of a very analytical mind, let's just put it that way. So he goes down there, he's gone for like a half an hour. <laughs> so at that point, I'm just like, Oh, okay, well, the hallway monster got him, so, like, that's, there is a hallway monster, I was, I was right with that. But, um, he comes back in, and yeah. he's just like, it took me some time, but I figured it out. Apparently, the way the building settled, the end of the hallway that I was walking towards was probably about an inch shorter 
than where I was walking from. And just the fact <laughs> that it was decreasing that much in height the whole way through, my body was subconsciously oh, realizing no. and getting anxious as I a result it. of it. Yeah, yeah it was like I've the crazy thing like that. <laughs> I uh, when I was first looking at houses, um, we we ended up looking at a house um, in Rentham, and I remember walking through the house, and I was like, I feel like. It's harder to walk towards the front of the house than it is to walk to the... The house was literally fucking falling into the earth. <laughs> uh, like, so it was, was physically a, there, just harder to walk one way than yeah, the other. <laughs> yeah, it was like literally like sinking into the, into the backyard. I was like, oh my god. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm all set with this house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't tell you one of this, uh, this house's greatest features, says the realtor. It's uh, currently meandering into a sinkhole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh man, one of my one of my favorite hotel stories though was uh, uh, when when Nick and I went on tour for Adapter Adapter. We were in Atlanta, or we were in the outskirts of Atlanta, and we were at like an Econo Lodge or something. And uh, <laughs> apparently, I I slept through it, but Nick was like, did, "Did you hear that this morning?" I was like, "What?" He's like, "So apparently, some guy was just like singing at the top of his lungs at like fucking seven <laughs> o'clock in the morning." Just like, oh, what a beautiful morning. Like, just singing. And uh, so he's singing. And then all of a sudden, you just hear a door open. And this guy goes, hey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and he was like, what? You shut the fuck up. And then they were just like fucking going back and forth. I was like, oh, man, no, I totally missed that. <laughs> it was great when, um, when uh, Difference Engine was playing at Necronomicon back in uh, 2013. We ended up getting a hotel room for the weekend because, um, like, basically the band and girlfriends were all, like, crashing in, like, the one hotel room as opposed to everyone trying to squeeze in Todd's living room. And it was great because the first night, it was just Danielle and I along with uh, Jake, who was playing bass for us for that show. And it was fantastic because, like, Danielle and I woke up a little bit before Jake and we we're just kind of, like, sitting in bed and talking quietly, whatever, amongst ourselves. And then all of a sudden, the wall against us, behind us, you just hear, Erk, Erk, Erk. As like the bed is clearly like being pressed against the wall over and over and over, and Danielle and I just look at each other and we're just like, "What the fuck?" And then all of a sudden, you just see Jake sit up really quickly in bed. His eyes are still closed, and he just turns and looks at us and just says, oh, "That's awkward." And then he just like takes the covers <laughs> off and just goes to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been worse if he just bolted up and looked over and was just like, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm going uh, to go on a walkabout real quick. Uh, Actually, one, one, more, out, one more hotel story, then we'll get into the, to the meat of things. So one of the best band in a hotel room nights I've ever had was my first, which was when 8mm Fuzz... Um, we stayed in a hotel room in Worcester <laughs> so that we could record the next day after playing a gig out there. So we uh, we played the show, got to the hotel room like around 11.30, midnight, whatever. And we get in and like we've got some beers and stuff with us and we're just like typical like young 20s band just being like, yeah, we're in a fucking hotel room, yeah, like dumb shit like that. And a confluence of amazing things happened all at one time. So our drummer Joe went into the bathroom to do whatever he was doing. Um, our singer Steve was just like, yeah, let's trash the place. Like being facetious, but also at the same time, just like knocking over the footstool, <laughs> like just doing like half-ass, like trashing quote unquote the, the hotel room, whatever. And I had my back to the door and I was fully 
had like a bag of weed, like a lot of weed, and uh, I was starting to pack a bowl. And then there was banging on the door behind us, and our bass player Vicky opened the door very quickly without taking stock of the situation before doing so. So I had my back to the door with a very large amount of weed that I was about to put into a pipe, and I should say that um, weed was illegal in the state of Massachusetts at this point in time. Uh, and we had Steve, who had visibly knocked shit over <laughs> in the room as a security guard was there being like, uh, yeah, so we're gonna have to talk about the noise in here. And what was incredible about it was our drummer Joe had walked into the bathroom. I don't know what he was doing there because it wasn't going to the bathroom. But when the security <laughs> guard came in, he just turned around and was like, yeah, I'm glad you came in here because you got to check this out. So he led the security guard into the bathroom. And apparently we had the one <laughs> bathtub, uh, presumably in this entire like otherwise clean looking hotel that looked like fucking uh, pig pen from the, from the peanuts <laughs> had taken a bath in there. The thing was like filth-ridden and caked and disgusting. It was like one of the most filthy bathtubs I've ever seen in an otherwise clean hotel in my life. And he's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm totally understanding of the fact that you guys were flipping out in here. Like, we're gonna get you guys upgraded. So we got upgraded to a better room. Nice. <laughs> oh, you were just hooting and hollering about a bathtub. <laughs> oh, they were just just, just, all, just, just, all stand, just all standing around the bathtub, all like congregated around the bathtub. Can you believe how filthy this is? This, is, just, one, this is an outrage. This is disgusting. As one of us decides to Blair Witch in the other corner of the room, like facing away from the guy the entirety of the time he's in there holding weed, <laughs> and then another one of us decides to run around like a moron and like knock over pieces of furniture, but not. Not that badly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, a, the the moral of the story is act however you want in a hotel room. It's not your home. Just act however you want. Uh, that's what it's, that's what they're there for. Like the, it's so you they, like you get a hotel room so you can like do a bunch of cocaine and just <laughs> like see what happens. <laughs> just <laughs> see, see what that takes you. <laughs> You're bound to get inspired. <laughs> You're like, you've got nothing to we've do got, but uh, bag of cocaine. We've got the, I don't know if you if you guys have a designated, like, motel in your town where the, the kids would go to <laughs> do drugs and shit like that. <laughs> ours, was the, ours was the Pineapple Inn on Route 1. Ooh, oh, that sounds right. <laughs> no, we had a, um, we had a couple sex hotels on, uh, on Route 99, right where it splits off from uh, Route 1 and Saugus. So, like, right where the Orange Dinosaur kind of still is, but used oh, to yeah. be. There are a couple of hotels right along there, and uh, in probably one of the most saga stories I can think of, one of the kids that I uh, graduated high school with um, goes by the name of James, and he goes by that name because it's his real name. Uh, he His parents owned the St. James Motel that was along there, and when they passed away, he sold it to real estate developers and made so much money that he doesn't have to work anymore for the rest of his life. Nice. Just by That's selling incredible. a sex motel. Yeah. Good stuff. Ah, kids live in the dream. Yeah, I feel like you've uh, I feel like you've outed like a bunch of <laughs> people from high school in the last two to three episodes. I don't care. I mean, not, someone not, would have not to that know that you were outing him. No, and, and this guy, this kid's a cool guy. Uh, I actually bumped into him within the last few years, and uh, he was actually doing uh, DoorDash or something similar. And uh, he was basically just doing it to like have something to do for a few hours during the day. And I'm like, fucking good yeah. on you, man. Like. You're a good dude. Like, I'm. I'm happy for you. Like, this is awesome. Like, live your best life, man. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not calling him out for that or anything. So as you can probably tell, this is another installment of Old Men Yell at Cloud. Uh, in fact, the hundredth episode of Old Men Yell at Cloud. 
And uh, <laughs> I'm your boy, Christopher. <laughs> and I'm here, as always, with Jim. Hey, happy 100th birthday, old Manuela Cloud. Thank you, Sonny. And Patrick. We fucking beat out Betty White, baby. <laughs> All right. And um, for our uh, last episode that we're going to be doing regularly, uh, we thought it would be apropos to bring back our very first guest, uh, Mr. John Sasser, for, uh, uh, I think, a topic that he will enjoy talking about. Yes. Hey. So tonight we are going to be talking Sex about... hotels. <laughs> yes, we're going to be talking about sex no, hotels on Route One and Saga. Yeah. <laughs> sex Keeping the summer alive by the Beach Boys was the, I don't know, 20th album released in 1980. No, we're going to be listening to doing? the track S-E-X-X-Y by They May Be Giants off of the album um, Factory Showroom. Yeah, I, got, I pulled it all together in the end there. Uh, no, we're listening I thought, to... I thought we were doing Sex Farm Woman by Spinal Tap. <laughs> 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 so, uh, as alluded to in a, a previous episode, we kind of had a, um, a a little vote amongst the uh, three primaries here about what to do for our hundredth episode, knowing that we couldn't squander it on like me picking like a Doves album or like Patrick being like, "Oh, uh, I have a King Gizzard album we should do," or you know, just something of that ilk, where it's like <laughs> something that's not like a bad album, something's probably pretty good, but like seems to not have the weight that we should have for our hundredth episode. So, right. for this, we uh, voted on, uh, not unanimously, but voted on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which is the eighth studio album by the English rock band The Beatles. And shockingly, this is our first Beatles, Beatles album. It is. Yeah, which. English? I had no idea. I thought they were Swedish. <laughs> I always get them and ABBA mixed up. I thought they were from Wisconsin. Yeah, we're the Beatles. We're the Curdles. For cheese, eh? <laughs> we're not from Canada, but yeah. we say A anyway, I guess. <laughs> Go Packers! Oh, don't you know. So it was released no, on they're, they're, May they're 26th of 1967. It spent 27 weeks at number one on the record retailer chart in the United Kingdom and 15 weeks at number one in the Billboard Top LPs chart in the United States. It was lauded by critics for its innovations in songwriting, production, and graphic design, which you don't normally hear for an album like that, uh, for bridging a cultural divide between popular music and high art, and for reflecting the interests of contemporary youth and the counterculture. Its release was a defining moment in 1960s pop culture, heralding the summer of love, while the album's reception achieved full cultural legitimization for pop music and recognition for the medium as a genuine art form. So I think it's worth noting, like, that, you know, Summer Love is fucking utter horseshit in that, uh, I mean, it was, yeah, it, 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 it went away quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Just like the, the sex motel in Saugus. <laughs> no, 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 that lasted for a while. That was there, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was there for a while because it was, um, it was the sort of thing when we all got to middle school and we're all integrated from the various elementary schools and I met James for the first time. He told me that, uh, he lives there in one of the rooms. And, like, his parents had a room and that he had his own. And I was like, that is the coolest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> you have your own TV, your own bedroom with cable, and your own bathroom. Like, I want your life. <laughs> 
At the end of August 1966, the Beatles permanently retired from touring and pursued individual interests for the next three months. During a return flight to London in November, Paul McCartney had an idea for a song involving an Edwardian military band that formed the impetus of the Sgt. Pepper concept. Sessions began on 24th November at EMI Studios with compositions inspired by the Beatles' youth, but after pressure from EMI, the songs Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane were released as a double A-side single in February and left off the EP. The album was loosely conceptualized as a performance by the fictional Sgt. Pepper Band, an idea that was conceived after recording the title track. A key work of British psychedelia, it incorporates a range of stylistic influences including vaudeville, circus, music hall, avant-garde, and western and Indian classical music. The band continued the technological experimentation marked by this previous album, Revolver, this time without an absolute deadline for completion. With producer George Martin and engineer Jeff Emmerich, the group colored much of the recordings with sound effects and tape manipulations, as exemplified on Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, and A Day in the Life. Recording was completed on 21st April. The cover, which depicts the Beatles posing in front of a tableau of celebrities and historical figures, was designed by the pop artists Peter Blake and John Haworth. They left Hitler off it, though. <coughs> he's off standing on He's uh, right out. You, you can see the cut out if you look at the from the photo shoot. Hitler's it's like Hitler and like one or two other people that they decided. Wait, wait, <laughs> holy shit, that, that's not a joke. That's not a joke. Oh, Jesus. I mean, it's, I guess it's a good thing they cropped him. I'm also in there. Thanks to Christopher. Are you? Oh, yes. Didn't 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 you Photoshop me into the cover of Sergeant Pepper oh, at one oh, point? That sounds like something I would have done. Uh, I don't remember doing yeah, it specifically, I'm but I'm pretty I mean, sure you did that. You're definitely still on the Wikipedia page for South Street Diner, although you're um, that's amazing. Your page, it's although a, your name is now linked to an actual guy named Jim Schultz, who's I like know, a politician or I some know. shit. Yeah, he's like <clears throat> one of Trump's lawyers or some bullshit. Congratulations. Seeing Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Vladimir Putin. What? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Sergeant Pepper. Just at the people on the cover. <laughs> Sergeant Pepper is regarded by <laughs> Dr. musicologists. Pepper. Dr. Pepper is regarded by musicologists as an early concept album that advanced <laughs> the roles of sound composition, extended form, psychedelic imagery, record sleeves, and the producer in popular music. The album had an immediate cross-generational impact and was associated with numerous touchstones of the era's youth culture, such as fashion, drugs, mysticism, and a sense of optimism and empowerment. It is considered one of the first art rock LPs, a progenitor to progressive rock, and the start of the album era. In 1968, it won four Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year, first rock LP to receive this honor. In 2003, it was inducted into the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress. 2003 seems very belated for that. It has topped several critics and listeners' polls for the best album of all time, including those published by Rolling Stone magazine and in the book All Time Top 1000 Albums, and the UK's Music of the Millennium Poll. It remains one of the best-selling albums of all time and was still, in 2018, the UK's best-selling studio album. More than 32 million copies have been sold worldwide as of 2011. A remix and expanded edition of the album was released in 2017. So one of the things that, um, that I mentioned here in the little Wikipedia tidbit that I just read that I think um, bears mentioning is that the... Let's see here. Where is the... Uh, it is considered one of the first art rock LPs, progenitor to progressive rock, and the start of the album era. And that latter bit is why I really wanted to push for this to be the album that we hit on number 100, because I think that this... That album... Uh, that, that statement, I think, bears repeating, just that it is the start of the album era. This feels like one of the first albums to me. Yeah. Yeah, the Beatles... No, I, I, uh, I think that's fair. The, the uh, Beatles did a lot of pioneering of shit. They, uh... They are the first uh, band to ever do a music video that was not 
um, just like video footage of a band playing. Do you guys know what video that is? Is that uh, all you pop quiz? All you need is love. Nope. Oh no, they were playing in that. Oh, uh, Magical Mystery Tour. Nope. Nope. Although that was no, that was long form. Yeah. Well, it seems the like Sasser is... knows it. So why don't why don't you tell us? Uh, I believe the the paperback writer and rain ones are kind of the first ones that were really the wrong uh, of that type. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Strawberry Fields Forever. A paperback writer would have beaten that boy. Well, I don't know. The internet told me. <laughs> the, the internet, internet never lies. Wrong. <laughs> no, I feel like I learned that in fucking like music class or something like that. That Strawberry uh, Fields Forever was like the first like kind of like artistic music video. It's totally uh, possible. It, it, I mean, it's up there, but it's uh, it, yes. Yeah, so as far as the final, I mean, because like that was. Um, because uh, Paperback Writer in Rain uh, was, I think they were, yeah, they were still touring at that point, but they, um, they were, they were sick of doing all the 80 million TV appearances for everything, so they're like, ah, the hell with it, we'll just, Ed Sullivan can get this video and we don't have to bother showing up in New York. Pretty dope idea. Ah, interesting. It's a lot shorter, uh, a lot shorter of a trip, I mean, you have Paul McCartney and his chipped tooth. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I got on the uh, topic of it recently, but Danielle and I were watching a bunch of random um, YouTube videos. And I think they were... <laughs> I think it was a series of Elmo interviews. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> and it was great because one was just... like We were just watching like different clips of like Muppets like on primetime TV. Because, As one does. Well, it's often rewarding <laughs> when you do, especially if you have like isn't the it, right time frame of someone doing isn't this. Isn't it great that weed's legal now? <laughs> I, I assure you weed was not a yeah. factor but um no the elmo one was great because um it was just like him like talking to like some talk show host in britain for like two minutes and then he's just like all right so we're moving on and then the next guest and the person playing elmo is like do you know how expensive it is to get here and that just is the first thing i thought of as soon as you said that so my mind <laughs> is that of a child <laughs> Have you seen the fucking gas prices lately elmo's elmo's Good job. getting violent. <laughs> it's like fucking the baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Like fucking smoking a cigar. The gas is just oh, too expensive. Baby. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Let's join the pickup, the, 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 the tractor trailer thing. It's in Canada. in Canada. I support Canada I for the first time in my young red life. <laughs> My young red life. That sounds like a fucking like emo album or something. <laughs> I'm just picturing Elmo singing emo hits now. Oh man, Elmo <laughs> singing the hits would be like an awesome late '90s uh, 900 number compilation album. He'll be singing your favorite hits like this one from Dashboard Confessional. I am vindicated. I am selfish. I am wrong. <laughs> I don't know all the it's other emo or money order to PO Box nine six three. Richmond, Virginia. I told you guys about how I think I thought everything just was in Richmond, Virginia. Yes. And then when my parents and I drove to Florida and we drove through Richmond, Richmond, Virginia, I was like the most disappointed I've ever been in my life. I was like everything I've ever seen on TV in my life supposedly lived in Richmond, Virginia. That's where it all came from. And all I saw was fucking cigarettes. 
<laughs> Alright, well, why don't we start doing this? Uh, Patrick, <laughs> let's start with you. What is your favorite song on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? Alright. My favorite track on this record is going to be a little tune called She's Leaving Home. Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins. Silently closing her bedroom door, leaving the note that she hoped would say more. She goes downstairs to the kitchen, clutching a handkerchief. And uh, I have an explanation. Uh, my history with the Beatles, I, I think everybody, uh, especially like in our age group, kind of got introduced to the Beatles in different ways uh, than our parents did, of course, who, who like, you know, grew up with, with them and, and you know, kind of got to experience them all at once. My initial uh introduction to the Beatles was actually on a compilation, a cassette compilation that my mom had called Beatles Love Songs, uh, which is a very misleading title because, I mean, all of the It was songs a giveaway with love. another five-gallon jug of lube. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, so, so you put this on and before your fuck sesh. Double uh, dash anyway, and get this Beatles album. <laughs> Uh, it, it's a weird collection of tunes, right? It's not like all of their number one hits. Like I think a lot of people in our age group got introduced via the the one compilation that came out like sometime in the late nineties. Yep, it was two thousand yeah. nine. And then, uh, but this had like a lot of kind of random deep cuts on it too, including this one. Uh, it, it had a lot of like. Uh, a lot of like Paul's kind of schmaltzier tunes, uh, like for no one, uh, and and this and and uh, uh, long and winding road. Anyway, I just think it, it, it's a it, it's a beautiful arrangement. It uh, kind of uh, is similar to it's kind of doing the Eleanor Rigby thing, where where it's you know just a string section and the vocals. Uh, I don't think there's any other yeah it's, it's just paul and john singing and there's no other beatles playing on it uh but i think what the uh the strings are doing uh there's just so much uh it just paints such a great picture just like the drama of it and, and the the you know the tension and, and the uh existential longing if you will uh it's the one to me that kind of sounded the most pet soundsy to me because I guess this record uh, was like loosely inspired by by the Beach Boys album Pet Sounds which we covered on a earlier episode um, and yeah I've just always really liked this one it, it, it's you know got a you know it, it's it's a romantic story but but like you know one that's like slightly deeper I guess I, I could you know see where it uh lyrically kind of falls into similar sort of like teenage dramatic uh trysts uh that you would get on like pet sounds and things like that uh yeah i've, I've just always really liked this one i i'm a big fan of paul's songs in general and i'm a paul apologist 
appall a gist. Uh, appall a gist, if you will. Uh, yeah, and I, t- I tend to like his tunes a lot. Uh, and yeah, this is one of my favorite Beatles songs, hands down. Uh, even if this isn't my favorite record of theirs, I uh, I'll always kind of appreciate that this song's presence on there. Yeah, it's funny uh, because I started writing a note to myself uh, during this, putting it as a contender for least favorite. And I like the song. Don't get me wrong. I, I really like the song. But as I was writing the note, I actually started writing another note to myself, like in response. And I was like, it's like, you could never write melodies in a chord progression like this. Who are you to call it weak in comparison? <laughs> so I, I, I took it away from my uh, my contention for uh, for least favorite uh, for that reason, because it, it is like just it's an incredible collection of melodies against chords. And it's it's yeah. one of the best out there. And you may not like the pr- production, but you could do a metal version of the song and it would fucking slay. It would be awesome. Yeah, no, it, it, it's got, it, it has, like, just the, the drama of, of the chord progression. I mean, that that's what's going to draw me in the most and kind of, you know, what I tend to pay attention to the most in, in music. Uh, so, yeah, th- this one is just, like, very rich in a lot of those things. Cool. Yeah, fully agree. <clears throat> John, let's, uh, let's, let's go for you. We'll, we'll take a guest before a... Uh, before a a regular here. What's your favorite song on this you here album? Bastard. Ooh, I feel special. <laughs> you Ooh. know what you did to uh, deserve this, James. <laughs> uh, I'm, my favorite one on this, I'm going to go with With a Little Help from My Friends. What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song and I'll try not to I don't know what it is about that. It's just so damn catchy. And it's like, I, I absolutely adore Paul's bass playing on that song. It's like uh-huh. so melodic and so hooky and just, it's just mwah. Uh, yeah, it, it's, kiss that yeah, anus. It, it just has the... <laughs> yeah. uh, fun fun fact, uh, when uh, when Joe Cocker was actually watching uh, babysitting Jarvis Cocker, that's when he actually came came up with the idea to do to do the cover of the song, which would later end up in the in the Wonder Years. Jarvis, what would you do if I say a song by the Beatles right now? I'm four. <laughs> wow, the Wonder Years. That looks. Fun. Well, what are they? Do? Oh, so cool. I used to alcoholic dad. Oh, <laughs> useless mom. Oh, awesome. Fun. That looks great. W- the dad wasn't an alcoholic. <laughs> he was just a hard ass who was a cheap guy, right? Was he an alcoholic? I don't, I don't remember. Know. Okay. I, I don't fuck. I don't know. Didn't he no. have PTSD from Korea too on that show? I mean, possibly. My grandmother he, loved that show. My grandmother I, was like, "This is my show." I just remember that the dad in it. I remember one episode very clearly where. It was time for the family to trade in the uh, the old family truckster and get a new car. And he was, like, steadfast at every place he went to. They wouldn't offer me half of what this car is worth. And, uh, yeah, that was like that seemed to be, like, his personality trait from every time I saw him on the show. Oh, yeah. No, he was, <laughs> he, he was uh, a uh, stingy, a Scrooge, a Scrooge McDuck. So I'm going to call someone else out. Um... A guy I used to work with, uh, Danielle and I used to work with, actually. 
good dude, but Christopher um, just has a list over there that he's, he's just like. I've got right, like I this got like Grinch like scroll that guy. I'm looking at. Is it okay? Right, last episode, I, I I am clearing the laundry list right He's now. got the lipstick like Steve Buscemi. <laughs> <laughs> no, this Heather McGonagall. She made fun of me because my gym clothes smelled a little funny. Seventh grade. No, this dude. He's a good dude. Did you just say McGonagall? <laughs> yes. <laughs> McCarnacle. <laughs> hey, I'm trying no, to eat here. I'll, 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 throw, I'll throw a first name out too, in, in case he uh, in case uh-huh. he hears this and All wants right. to challenge me on it. Kevin was his name. Uh, Danielle and I used to work with him. He's a good dude. Uh, I like him a lot. But um, the one ta- the like one take that he had that was just like unfathomable to me was that he swore. No matter what, that the Joe Cocker version of "With a Little Help from My Friends" was better than the Beatles version, and it's like. I can't follow you down this path, friend. Like, you are doing something unique, and I I want you to follow your truth, but you are doing something wrong. But to me, that's an apples and oranges kind of comparison, which is funny because it's literally the same damn song, (coughs) but they're just, they're stylistically so... There, I mean, it'd be one thing if he was just like the John Belushi version. <laughs> John Belushi doing Joe Cocker doing with a little help from my friends. Well, the thing is, it's it's not even necessarily the same song. Because I was thinking about this recently um, in preparation for this episode about this particular take. And like so many of the melodies are completely changed around and whatnot throughout it, too. So it's like the songs share the lyrics and like maybe a few melodic ideas, but they're, they're pretty different songs. It's like listening to a rage against the machine cover and comparing it to the original and being like, Oh man, like, yeah, rage really nailed it. But the original had no idea what was going on. It's like, they're different songs. Like you don't listen to Springsteen's ghost of Tom Jode and say that like the rage version is like improved. Oh, like Maggie's farm. (laughs) Different fucking song. Well, the Joe Cocker version is like, it's in a different time signature. It's like, it's in three, four. And it's like, yeah, it's like it's like slowed down, like you know, blue-eyed soul version of it. Uh, and this one is like the what I call like <clears throat> the standard Beatles shuffle feel. <laughs> but like, it's funny. Gina was uh, she started just singing "Good Day Sunshine" out of nowhere, uh, the song off Revolver. And, and she's like, what, "What song is that? Who does that?" Uh, and she's like trying to figure out like if it was a Beach Boys song or not. And I was like, "Oh no, that's the Beatles." And like kind of like picked up my guitar to like you know uh mimic the chords to it uh and she's like and it's like i couldn't remember how the verses go uh other than like it kind of does the penny lane thing where it's like the guitars do it do 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 and the drums do it boo, bah, boo, bah, boo, and like the bass is doing the three boo, 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 boo. it's like they, they have like Fucking fifteen songs that do that shit. Yeah, the, the left hand of the pl- uh, piano is always. Oh yeah, gotta have that chromaticism. They stole that from Brian Wilson. God damn it. Oh man, that smells. Uh, what does? Do you want to share with the class? Oh jeez. I fought it. My ass! <laughs> Hasn't reached me yet. Yeah, I think what I loved about that moment in uh, the Get Back show was uh, just what it revealed about George Martin's voice and how, like, deep and, like, humorless it was, even though he clearly had a sense of humor. So, like, Ringo's just like, I fought it. And he's just like, oh, it hasn't reached me yet. 
<laughs> it's like, and so she's like, thanks for telling me. Yeah, it's like, dude, in 25 years, there is going to be an actor out there who is going to play a character named Henry on a show called Punky Brewster, and he's going to sound exactly like you, and it's going to be awesome. Jesus. Punky Brewster, I haven't heard that fucking name in forever. He's also Wacko Warner. Uh, oh, Punky. <laughs> Jim. Yeah, that guy. What was your favorite song? I'm gonna have to go with that lovely Rita that Meter made. This song, I, I fucking love this Ooh. song. This is one of those songs where I find myself, now that we just listened to this album, I'm going to be singing this song for the rest of the goddamn week. This The, the chorus of this song gets stuck in my head every fucking time I listen to it. And it's just such a it's such a fun song. And, uh, you know, Ringo's got a little, he's got a little nice drum fill coming into the song. And, uh, you know, speaking of George Martin, he's got that piano solo on there. Uh, and uh, the snare drum is a piece of garbage on this song, but I fucking love it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. For the most part, the uh, for the most part, the snare drum's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty solid all over this album. Like sounds pretty organic, but also has like you know good punch to it. Yeah, well, they actually on, um, mic'd the snare. Yeah. <laughs> and the, wow. Uh, yeah, the, the exciting Crazy. developments in audio engineering. <laughs> Hey, what if we try to put a microphone next to the thing so you can actually hear it? <laughs> oh, it's fucking crazy. We're going to have to bring in a whole new machine for this. Yeah, like I was saying <laughs> earlier, the uh, the drum break at the beginning of the Sgt. Pepper reprise is awesome. It sounds great by today's standards. Like, it, it's just a really yeah. cool drum break. Definitely. Yeah. that That's uh, one of the things I noticed with this listen was uh, the yeah the snare on, on, on the the lead uh, Sgt. Pepper's and the, and the reprise are just like like years ahead of its time like you know just like has that uh has a good you know attack to it but also like a good uh good rattle at the end of it and you know sounds like a real fucking snare drum i forget not if like they were doing the tea towel do yet the on this or not uh i know after this it was tea towels everywhere all over ringo's drums i, I don't i don't know if it was mm. on, on pepper or not it sounds pretty I, the toms sound kind of muted but that yeah the snare the sounds snare pretty resonant sounded, I think he yeah, left it off it sounded pretty resonant yeah it was funny because um I started listening to I mean I've been listening to the Beatles for a while before that but when I was in school for audio engineering I was listening to basically I had this like thing I had this ritual every night where like I lived with my parents at the time which was super fun and uh, basically, I waited for them both to go to bed around like 10:30 or so, and then I would start drinking and smoking weed in my room, which is across the hall. <laughs> and um, I would listen to nice. like Beatles records and shit and different things like that. And there were a few songs out there that had choruses that were like profoundly catchy to me um, melodically. And Lovely Reader Meter Maid was definitely one of those songs where it's like I would be like sitting there high at like 11:30 at night, knowing I'd have to get up at like 6:30 to like get ready to get to classes and whatnot. And I'd be kind of like nodding off, and then like that chorus would come in, and I'd like perk right up, and I'd be like, Jesus, like that's that's like a, an energetic and like punchy and like high pitched and like really obvious chorus, and like it's it's awesome. Yeah, that that There's, and um the yeah. organ break from um she's so heavy, dude. 
and then the bass would come in the doo -doo 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 -doo. like that bit of <laughs> she's so heavy those are like the parts of Beatles songs that will like blow my fucking mind when i was like in my early yeah. 20s and stoned and like not wanting my parents to know i was smoking weed across the hall from their bedroom uh yeah those those songs were great for that I mean, the, the the Beatles just in general, you know, with I don't really know how else to put it. They, there's just a certain elegance to their songwriting that I'll always appreciate. And, you know, say what you want about like the people themselves, but like they, they can fucking write a song like they, you watched it on the Get Back documentary. You saw like Paul McCartney just literally pull that song out of his ass. Yeah. Like, I don't know. These guys know what they're doing. Well, and I, I think something... They, they put a lot of thought into it. I think to, to add to that point, too, I think that when they were together, I think they really kept the elegance alive. And I think that when they yeah. were apart, they, I think they had a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder and a little bit more to prove. And I think that that elegance kind of went away a little bit. And I don't think we ever quite got that on any of the yeah. solo stuff. But I, I agree with you 100%. I, no, I, I, I can... I can agree with that for sure. For myself, I am going to go with, um, uh, like I've said on a few albums recently, where um, there's a song on it that I think is just unbelievable, and I have to pick it no matter what, uh, because I think it is, I genuinely think it's the best song on the album. For uh, Sgt. Pepper, I'm going to have to go with The Day in the Life. It's one of my Ooh, yeah. favorite. Yeah, it's no, it's it's an obvious pick. That's the correct answer. It's, it's, an, it's an obvious <laughs> pick. It's a very obvious pick, but it it's one of my favorite songs of all time, and it's not one of my favorite songs of all time. It's one of everyone's favorite songs of all time. It's a fucking brilliant, brilliant song. Yeah, no, it's it's a brilliant song. No, it, it's and a great tune. Everything about it, just from like reading about Lennon writing it while sitting at a piano with a newspaper in front of him, like instead of like a lyric or chord sheet, like that's awesome. And going from that to Lennon having the song written, but nothing for what was it sixty-four bars in the middle? So they just had so, they just had Mel Evans, their uh, basically their assistant, count out time audibly in the final recording um, to have nothing there before they finished the track, and then they filled in that middle gap with one of the most ambitious and cool parts ever recorded by a rock band. I mean, granted, it was recorded with the help of an orchestra, but um, like for a pop rock recording, something uh, of that ilk done at that time, like nothing was done like this at the time. And that's why an album like this is so fucking important to albums that came later, because they had the uh, they had the basically the the wherewithal and the ability because we can't ignore the fact that the Beatles were able to make these kind of leaps that other bands were not able to make at the time because they had the clout, they had the money, they had the time at yeah. Abbey Road, they had George Martin at their disposal. They they were able to do all this, so like we can't discount the fact that no one else could do it. Um, but at the same time, the Beatles did do it, and yeah, they had that fanfare come up, they had all those strings start at the lowest note of E, and then get to the highest note of E that they possibly could, and it sounded like chaos, like Patrick said, it sounded like a panic attack leading up to it, and then there's just yeah. Paul's like weird doldrums <clears throat> induced, <laughs> like fugue state in the middle where he's talking about going to work and shit, and it just it ties yeah. everything together so so fucking well, and then it just yeah. comes back seamlessly into Lennon's original idea, despite having this weird major key interlude and they decide to end it by holding chords together on multiple pianos as long as possible while slowly turning the microphones up. Uh, 
to create as sustained a chord as possible, and in the process, you just start hearing shit like flipping pages and other bullshit happening in the background of the studio. It's it's genius. Oh, yeah. It's fucking awesome, and it's one of the best songs of all time, and uh, I'm just going to go on the record and say that uh, I'm not going to waste my slot on another song on this album, because this is it's my favorite song on this album, and I'm happy that it's the last song, because I know I'm always going to get rewarded when I listen to this album. It was my number two pick. Yeah, same. for sure. <laughs> I, I I was gonna say I. <laughs> that was a very funny response to me talking until my I could not talk anymore. <laughs> well, I was gonna I was gonna say I I loved reading about how yeah you you know you were talking about how they had the clout they had the money they had George Martin at disposal but like that's like my fucking dream is just have a stupid amount of money to be able to rent out a studio for an infinite amount of time and just fucking dick off and <laughs> just come up with Chinese something. Well, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, Jim. I don't doubt that you in a studio are going to do really, really creative things if you have a lot of time and, like, you have a lot of instruments and, like, stuff at your disposal and, like, Pat or any of you guys, like, Patrick, uh, John, like, you guys have creative ideas. There were a lot of bands in the 60s. And there were a lot of real bad bands in the 60s that had, like, one big pop hit. So, like, kind of what I was getting at was more that, like, if, like, I don't know, Hermit's Hermits, maybe, had this budget and opportunity, we might not be looking at albums the same way. They might not have done something quite as creative as what the Beatles were able to do in this particular <laughs> circumstance. Not that the Hermits didn't have some fucking great pop songs, but I, I don't know if they would have. No, no, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying I would fucking... That that's I always joke about how I'm trying to get rich so I can quit my job and fucking run a studio so we can all play in it. That's like my fucking <laughs> it's like my fucking dream. It's just fucking oh what month are we gonna fucking rent out? Let's go fucking rent out goddamn uh, whatever the fuck studio and live in it and just go you know, to town for a month. The tragic thing with us though is that like we would get some like really cool stuff started, like. At our first week at Real World Studios, uh, Peter Gabriel's place, it's like half underwater in England. <laughs> and then like by the second week, like we'd be like passing the bowl around and like be playing Mario Kart. <laughs> I mean, that's part uh, of, oh, yeah. so, by <laughs> the, part by of the, the process. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By the second week, we'd be door dashing buckets. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like in back in 2016, back in 2016, I uh, discontinued calvin ball which was like the band that, that i was in at the time to kind of focus on a, on a solo venture uh and i took like two weeks off from work I, I was working at whole foods at the time with like the expectation that all right i'm gonna bang out an album in this two weeks uh even though like i was just learning logic for the first time <laughs> uh and, and like you know didn't really know my way around it very well uh so I don't know. At some point, I quit my job at Whole Foods. I remember that um, because that was around the desk time. It was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and like cashed out a four hundred one k and kind of like lived off that for a little bit. Uh, but that was like the closest moment I had to something like that, where like it, we were just kind of in a position where I could kind of fuck around for a little bit. Uh, and I. I uh, I gotta say, I, I I started out with the best of intentions, but I was definitely just fucking hitting the bowl and well, fucking like <laughs> staring at the ceiling. I mean, uh, look, look, screaming well, into the abyss. Well, <laughs> no, no, like and I totally, I, I totally get that, and like that definitely happens. But like, 
the desk that we did a long weekend where we fucking locked into my house, just us, and we fucking slept at the house and we made a fucking we made the fucking desk record. That was awesome. It was also the drunkest I've oh, yeah. ever seen Christopher. He fell asleep upright on my studio couch. Uh, uh, yeah, that was on the Saturday <laughs> evening. I liked um, the Sunday uh, before we left. There was a period where uh, Deegan was downstairs doing uh, leads, and uh, Todd and I were both upstairs, and we had both had a lot to drink that e- uh, that weekend. And uh, I was asleep on the couch, and Todd was asleep on the other part of the couch, because uh, Jim has a very long couch. And I just remember at one point hearing uh, Patrick come upstairs, like sounding like he was looking for people, and then I just hear him saying, Oh, and then I heard him go back downstairs. <laughs> Finding like Todd and I like passed out on couches in the living room. <laughs> oh, that weekend, that weekend was fucking awesome. I'd love to do that fucking shit again. It was fun. Oh yeah. Um, would definitely like to do it more sober uh, because yes, uh, that would be <laughs> it would be good to bring more to the table. But <laughs> I mean, I I did not it. me. Let's do cocaine. Well, I did. Uh, I, mean, honest, I honestly, did it with Cax Attack, and that was pretty much what what it fucking was for a goddamn weekend. Was, <laughs> Uh, Patrick, what was your least favorite song? My least favorite song? I thought it was When I'm 64, uh, <laughs> but it was not. <laughs> it was Good Morning, Good Morning. Oh, uh, hell yeah, buddy. No, I'm I'm uh, in on that with I, you. I, I I'm I'm curious to see what you say because I might just agree with everything you say. Uh, <laughs> it, it it it's not a it it's not a least favorite. I I viscerally hate this song. I it's actually probably one of my least favorite Beatles songs. I I mean it's it fucking listen to it. It's fucking obnoxious. Like, what were they thinking? I I don't know. Like, what were they thinking? That's that's all I have to say. There's like no fucking musical merit to that song whatsoever. It's fucking obnoxious. No, it's. I mean, I'm not gonna disagree with you very much there. Um, it's. It, it it has some moments musically, I guess, but uh, for the most part, yeah, the the vocals kind of ruin it for me. And it, uh, that song yeah. specifically reminds me of Barrett era Floyd. It's just fucking. Yeah, I can see that. Insane. Lennon himself said it was. A, it's a throwaway piece of garbage. Good morning. Here is my bike. I wrote. I wrote. My note on this one was: animals are fun. Oh yeah, because yeah, it very clearly ends with like a nod to pet sounds, which is very fun. The uh, the rooster crowing is apparently a public domain sample. Uh, but, you know, so you can use that if you wanted. If you really wanted to sample it, that one's okay. Cool. When I do a cover of uh, Sublime's uh, What I Got, and he does the early in the morning bit, or when I when I do it for my version, I'll use that rooster bit just to, like, make you it. Mean, you'll, you mean... Oh, put the rooster on when he says the swear. Early, I was going to say... Oh, okay, yeah. I could use I was going to say... Uh, you mean you mean the part where he says he can play the the guitar like a motherfucking riot and then proceeds to play the worst guitar solo <laughs> ever written? So <laughs> I I will give him credit for that because I a hundred percent believe that that is facetious. 
I, I think that that is done completely tongue in cheek. I don't want to give. I sure hope so. I don't Fair enough. I don't want to give Sublime credit for a lot of things, but that just it has to be tongue in cheek. <laughs> it could be. I could see that. I, I could see them being getting a little cheeky with it, but getting cheeky with it. Da, 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 da. Uh, but Patrick, yes, um, <laughs> mostly mostly agree with you on uh, Good Morning, Good Morning. Um, not to the same depths as you is is kind of where I land. But yeah, that's that's my least favorite as well. John, what is your least favorite el- uh, song on this album? Least favorite for me is probably gotta be Within You Without You. Which, uh, which I love my man George, but uh, it's the the little too heavy into just the stray uh, classical Indians. <laughs> yeah, although uh, which granted uh, granted the the love version of Within You Without You where it's mashed together with Tomorrow Tomorrow Never, never Dies. Oh, Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah, yeah it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> when it was mashed Bond with film. the James Bond movie, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, that that one that oh, one yeah, makes it a bit more uh, a little bit more exciting, but just the the straight one, like it, it's fine. I have no I have no problems listening to it, but it doesn't like it's like one of the few things on this record where it's just like it's like okay, there's it's here. I think for me it's, it's I like Love You Too better <laughs> off off of a Revolver. It's, it's kind of the same same deal. Uh, yeah, I think, I think for catchier. me it's one of those songs where it's never going to be my favorite on this album, but every time I listen to it, I like it more. So, like, the first few times Same. I heard it, it was just like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, George Harrison got into Indian music, and now he has proper Indian musicians making a song for him. And as time goes on, and I read more about it, and I hear it more, and it's like, I'm getting this more, and I feel bad for writing off George Harrison's efforts that way. Especially because, like, myself as someone who's, like, super into Icelandic culture and things like that, like, obviously it's not as different as um, as Indian culture is from, from Western culture and what have you. Um, but... Like, I, I get where he's coming from in this. And I, I think he's coming from a good place. I don't think he's coming from a place of, like, appropriation or anything like that oh, by any yeah. stretch. Um, and, yeah, I, I see what he's going for. And I like the song every time I hear it more and more. And uh, tonight, like I mentioned in the chat as we were listening, like, I was listening to it loud and hearing the tablas and the way that Emmerich recorded them, like, getting to hear the low end out of those tablas sounded fantastic. And, it, like, Boom. even if it's, yeah, even if it's not my favorite song of this album, like, I always have a great time listening to it at this point. Like, I don't tune out. I'm, I'm actively listening to it and having yeah. a great time. Yeah, I did. It's, def- it's a great recording. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely oh, one yeah. of those ones that's grown on me for sure. Because there was a time when, when we started listening to this, I was like, that's going to be my least favorite. And then I listened to it. I was like, no, I fucking love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of in that boat, too, where, where I appreciate it a little more each time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the recording itself, like you know, is kind of timeless. You you know, I, you could have told me that was recorded in you know seventy nine, you know eighty two, like whatever. Like I, I would have believed you because it just the the dynamic the dynamic range and just like the clarity of the instruments are, are you know pretty top notch for a nineteen sixty seven recording. Yeah, and just frankly across the board, like 
This obviously is a data center recording as a result of the fact that it's a stereo recording from the mid-60s. So obviously, you're going to have shit panned in fucking crazy ways like we were talking about earlier. And something that should be mentioned yeah. for all uh, the young and who might be listening is that this album is not intended to be listened to in stereo. It's intended to be listened to in mono. This is the version that you're probably hearing is not the album uh, you should be listening to. You should seek out the mono version of this because it's going to, first off, sound completely different um, in terms of the mix. But also it, with the mono versions, a lot of times different takes were used uh, for different performances. So you might hear like a different guitar solo or something like that on songs. So definitely check out the mono versions if you haven't heard them. Uh, that goes for any of you guys who haven't heard the mono versions. Jim, have you? Yeah, my uh, my my buddy Mike, who came on for In Utero, and also Can, uh, he's got the uh, the the mono beta mono vinyls. Yeah, of those, uh, so he's got the good mono out. version of In Utero. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can see some alternate history I've where got the like mono. Uh, Angelic to the core. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That beat any joke I had. Uh, Jim, what was your least favorite? I'm going to go with She's Leaving Home. So thoughtlessly. How could she do this to me? She, we never thought of ourselves. We've struggled hard all our lives to get she's leaving home after living alone. Yeah, <laughs> fuck me. I don't know, something just that that those two songs, fixing a hole and she's leaving home, those have always been the two songs I feel like I kinda tune out during this album. Um, I feel like it just kind of it. The record as a whole kind of takes a, a a dip down there, not in quality, but just like in mood, I guess. Energy. And, uh, yeah, it, it, and I just kind of tune out, and I don't. I, I need to like actually fucking sit there and pay attention to it. But I think during these two songs, I was finishing up my uh, my beautiful drawings of uh, of, uh, of of the four gentlemen who are the Beatles. Uh, and I didn't really have too many notes for that song, and um, because of that, I just—it's just kind of a, I guess, a shot in the dark pick. I need to give it some more no love. No drums. No drums. <laughs> no drums. There you go. He's and calling you up, boo. I, I subconsciously picked it because it had no drums in it. I need my Ringo, you know. I need my Ringo. He was playing chess during that one. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, what is your MVP moment from the album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? Wow. Wow. Uh, wow. Wow. I had a couple. <laughs> I had a couple. Uh, I have a feeling someone is already going <clears> to <throat> pick this one. So uh, I'm going to go with a sort of uh, left field one, which is the pianette on the choruses of Getting Better.
Sasser pointed it out uh, uh, sometime during our listen, and I was actually thinking about these uh, about those choruses on this listen. My my opinion on this album has pretty much been fixed for a while, uh, and I've listened to listened to it for a few times recently uh, in anticipation for this show. Uh, but yeah, something about just how those those chords ring out with the guitar, uh, like the guitars kind of doing something very chimey, and yeah, it's it's one of those tunes that I think uh, gets kind of forgotten about uh, within the <clears throat> grand sea of Sgt. Pepper songs. Uh, but it, it, and it's not even necessarily like the best example of that sort of Beatles shuffle, but but it's it's. Uh, it's a good tune. It's a good melody, and I really, I, I like how the, the I just kind of like how that chimey guitar and pianet uh, rings out on that tune. It, 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 uh, it it's something that's always kind of like iconically Beatles-esque to me, and, and you know, one of those uh, moments that I will, you know, kind of pull influence-wise from this record. That's a great song. Yeah, it's a good tune. John, MVP moment. MVP moment. I'm going to go with the guitars in the reprise version of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Oh, hell yeah. Because they just... they. They rip and they're they fucking using, rock. Yeah, well, well, they're they're using those crazy uh, hybrid uh, solid state tube amps that like only existed for like six months. Yet every record that was made in that period like <laughs> had them on it, uh, and then they destroyed them all. Uh, but <laughs> so it's just got this really, <laughs> it's just this really like wild like no, like nothing else sounds like the guitars I, on this record. I, like, I, I just had I just had a I had a vision of. Uh, Fucking Muldoon in Jurassic Park when it comes to the interspace. <laughs> they should all be destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's that's just those uh, those. It's, I I forget and I forget if it's George or Paul because Paul did a lot of lead stuff on this record too, uh, just because he could. Uh, and it would they just they just shred for as much as, my, as much as you can in a Beatles record. Uh, although, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that's my MVP. They just, I, I love guitars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, when Dark we were two. when we were listening to this, I was just I was just listening it, to it through my studio monitors, and uh, I wish I had listened to it on the headphones. I'm gonna have to do that at some point. Cause I don't think I've ever listened to this on headphones. I think I think it's always been. Uh, oh man, yeah, do it through Ooh. speakers i actually i i and we were kind of talking about you know how we kind of came into our, our 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 beatles as as youngins and um yeah i remember fucking hearing come together and that shit on beatles one or whatever when my mom bought that record and you know hey jude and all that crap we actually i actually found um i have a seven inch of uh uh, hey Jude and Revolution, I think. It sounds like fucking garbage because uh, it's scratched <laughs> as shit, but it's pretty cool that I have that. Um, 
Yeah, I actually, when I was building this studio, I was doing discography dives, and I did the Beatles. Uh, and I realized that I liked way more Beatles songs than I realized. Oh, they're fucking great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think, like, anyone who... Who I don't know. They they just have influenced so much at this point that like I I don't know. I, I as someone who's like a fan of anything from the album age, I guess I like I I'm hard pressed to think that you don't like at least you know a few tunes by the Beatles. Yeah. Like it's yeah. They, they've just influenced so much that like I don't know. It's it's yeah. Very very pleasing. I, I don't know. Their writing style's always been very pleasing. It's, to yeah, me it's too. very yeah. broadly palatable. So it's like if there's something there that. You, like if there's not something there for you to like, then I, I'm suspicious of your rationale for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I got into them. Like I said, my oldest brother showed me a bunch of like classic rock stuff when I was like super little. So I was like probably like I don't know five or six, and he showed me like a bunch of Zeppelin, Floyd, and um, the Beatles song that I took away the most from back then was um, was it Her Majesty, the last one on. Uh, Abbey Road yep. from the medley because yep. I, I, as an adult yep. I never really got into the medley I just I was, eh, whatever I, I like side one of Abbey Road a lot and then I just never bothered flipping it um, that is yeah. a hot take yeah well no again it, it ties back to the time when I was smoking weed uh, across the hall from my parents hoping they wouldn't smell me smoking weed and like drinking like a little bit of my dad's whiskey the door. yeah and like <laughs> like before bed knowing that I had to get up before too too long uh, listening to Beatles stuff and it was like when I had that profound realization hearing that fucking organ and bass moments in She's So Heavy it's like I'm gonna hit this side one more time and then like that just kind of like became my yeah. modus operandi that is still. That, I find that fascinating because I don't. I don't think I've ever. I've ever heard anybody go. She's so heavy is my favorite part of Happy Road because it's. A, it's cause it's, it's not a, even. It's not even the song. It's just that one moment was just like <laughs> it. Just like spoke to me so much while I was high. I, yeah. <laughs> I I actually I peaked on shrooms. While, while listening to that album once and, and yeah i got to she's so heavy and I, I felt like i was being swallowed by the song when it gets to that like, oh it's part so at the end where it gets all fucking saturated and like mm-hmm. yeah the big like it's guitars just such a that, like, sinister like song fucking trombones yeah, it's, it's oh, the yeah. fucking it's like one of the yeah. like parents of heavy metal it's like so crazy hearing it all like come together like that jim mvp moment yeah I'm going to go with, uh, man, you, you had mentioned it earlier. I'm going to go with what we were calling the panic attack in A Day in the Life. That fucking oh, build up yeah. into that just fucking like fucking just, that was my other just pick. sucks <laughs> into just the fucking piano part. That is a that is a beautiful thing. Yeah, that is a beautiful part of music history right there. I don't there. know. I like you the d- demo version with Mal just counting with delay on him. <laughs> one, 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 two, two, two. You'd better believe that uh, I am going to splice the entire 52. thing in there. 
53. 54. Man, I'm getting tired of saying this. 55. <laughs> for me, I'm going to pick a part from uh, my close second choice for favorite song, which is Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. And uh, yeah. I love that song so much because it was a great example for me early on of being able to make a really weird song that was still poppy as all hell. And It's um, interesting that you picked that one, and I'll explain why in a little bit. Is this similar to um, when we did Playing the Angel by Depeche Mode? And I was like, oh yeah, my friend Squiggy had a song on this that he said sounded like something I would write, and then you were able to pick it out. No, it's different. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, no, for this, I really like a lot of how this song was constructed uh, from Lennon, like, putting the lyrics together from, like, old posters for, like, weird fucking entertainment excuses that people used to have back before entertainment was a real thing. Um, and what I really like about this song is the calliope in it that is used from uh, basically source tapes that they had. What I really enjoy about it is that the end result is like just Calliope cut up in like various which ways. However, um, it, it just sounds like they messed up the tape a lot, which they did. But the funny thing about it is when they were making the record, they took the tape of the Calliope, cut it up into a bunch of pieces, threw it up in the air, and then taped it back together, thinking like, oh yeah, this is going to get like all random and it's going to sound crazy. And it basically, when they played it back, it was inexplicably almost the same as when they threw it up in the air. <laughs> so they actually had to manually That's like ridiculous. make it random. <laughs> But uh, the end result is just, it's, it's disarming, and I like it, and it's, it's fun. And even though it doesn't have the same, like, sort of um, joy that the sort of randomness would have had, uh, it's still just, like, a very bright spot for me on this album. The shit that they were able to do with splicing that mm-hmm. thing, like, continues They're, to blow my mind. Yeah, that splicing I, tape budget was through the roof. I uh, I watched a, a video of, of uh, what they did to Strawberry Fields Forever. I, I don't know if it was like I feel it like was I've a heard lot. a few different takes of that. They did a lot of things. But they, there was like <laughs> yeah, they did a lot of fucking things, and they spliced like you know take seventeen and take eighteen together, but like had to slow it down they, to get it to be in the same. So pitch. yeah, what they did was they spliced two takes that were in different keys and tempos and made them match fucking bonkers yeah, yeah. like if if you don't want this badass. if you don't want this spoiled for you uh dear listener uh just skip ahead a few seconds right now patrick i guess you're screwed because you're gonna find out right now um when you hear lennon say for the second time let me take you down when he says down that's after the edit happens let me take you cut oh, no, down i, I, I know oh, that okay now. Oh, okay but yeah i can't that, hear that down that's where the, the edit happens anymore. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, yep, that's a different form. That right is the there. edit Holy right there. Shit. Yep, I can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, comparable album. Patrick, what are you thinking? What am I thinking? All right. Uh, thro- throwing it out there for the evening. David Bowie, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders Ooh. from oh, Mars. Oh, the Spiders. 
Ziggy, this is I, an I, album. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think I've heard that Ziggy played the guitar. <laughs> he did. He he played the guitar. He was a he was a star man. <laughs> uh, and and, all, and wham bam, thank you, man. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is. I I feel like both albums have similar vibes in that like they're kind of concept albums but not really uh maybe ziggy's a little more committed to the concept i'm not sure uh both of them are kind of like the iconic albums for said artist in a lot of ways uh and sort of their signature like cartoon rock album (laughs) if that makes sense cartoon rock uh yeah, I, I don't know. Just, I mean, like, Sgt. Pepper's definitely has a, uh, if not comedic, definitely a, like, sense of levity to it. Uh, it, it it's not a terribly deep album. Uh, and Ziggy Stardust kind of falls along the same lines where, where it's, like, a very ridiculous character and, like, you know, kind of self-aware of, it, of its glamminess. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 there, there's definitely some inspiration, I think, in, in some of the sequencing and like the general feel of the album, uh, you know, the implementation of strings, um, kind of, and like the orchestrations done in, in kind of interesting ways and, you know, they weren't afraid to throw some flange over it or whatever to, to get it all weird sounding, uh. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like Forrest Gump. I guess that's all I have to say about that. It's circling about that. It's circling. Bringing it back. That's, yeah, it's bringing it back. Circling back. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got to say about that. John, comparable album. <laughs> uh, I've actually got I got a good one for this one. Uh Comparable album for me, Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. What the fuck? You got to explain yourself right now, boy. Ah, God. <laughs> comparable album records that whose records that whose production styles just completely changed the game for how people perceived popular music. All right, asked and answered. <laughs> <laughs> like, Fair enough. yeah, well, it's the kind of thing where it's just like, cause nobody, cause like, cause even like, you know, cause. Um, uh, well, here's the part where I'll go into my my Beatles history. Uh, so, uh, like in my household, like I well, one of my earliest memory memories I can think of is like my dad playing like Beatles songs like Blackbird and Here Comes the Sun like as like as far back as I can remember. So it's just uh, just like it's in like ingrained into our things. And so I I, I remember uh, I remember as a uh, as a teenager like talking to my dad about pepper and that because my dad would have been what 17 when this came out and um uh and he was just like he he was telling me it's just like it was like nothing anyone had ever heard before it was just everything was just so radically different in the way that you perceived that and how it was put together like it just it just changed your expectations and then to bring it back to the point of hand that's the same thing like paul's boutique the way the way that the sampling and things like that is done including sampling this record uh which no one will ever do again um <laughs> was just it's just a total total game changer uh just it just did things that people didn't think you could do and then it just everything was different yeah wonder if we'll ever get that again <laughs> 
probably <laughs> like one, one of those moments. It'll probably happen. Uh, I mean, it's probably happened since then too, just outside of the realm of musical sampling. It's just you got to find a new form for uh, laws to catch up on. All right, Jim, comparable album. All right. Uh, so I said I was going to uh, explain myself, and this is uh, this is going <laughs> to go right up Christopher's ass. Um, and Patrick really kind of solidified it for me when he mentioned cartoon rock. My comparable album is going to be Primus's Pork Soda. What a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and, no, because you mentioned, uh, you mentioned bring... Bring forth the benefit of, of Mr. Kite. It's such a goofy, like, circusy song. And as soon as I heard that song, I was like, this fucking reminds me of Primus. It's very Primus. And yeah, the, be- the Beatles should remind you of Primus and not in the opposite direction by any stretch. Definitely. No, 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 no. no but I'm saying, like, I can see how Les Claypool probably took a lot of influence from. Sure. Specifically, pr- this album, just because some of the goofy shit that's on it, and was no, like, oh, I, I'm can... being an asshole. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> so, following you. <laughs> so yeah, no, that that Bas- completely makes sense. Basically, Primus, Primus is the Beatles of our our day and age. Is what I'm trying to say. I mean, you've provided incontrovertible <laughs> evidence. Yeah. I'm sure there's no re- reason for the jury to retire. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, said by Jim and three others. (laughs) 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 No, but in all seriousness, I just kind of like listen to this. I noticed that there's definitely some influence pulled uh, by Mr. Claypool from the Beatles. Yeah, and that's one of the funny things about the Beatles is that there are different things pulled from them by different artists because they, they did do a diverse enough array of things. And yeah, so Primus could pull weird, clowny, cartoonish stuff out of them and um, be as valid for that as anything Oasis did. Like, they're just pulling from different influences from the same act, which is absolutely insane. Yep. Yep. Uh, for myself, I am going to go with Gorilla, which is the 1967 debut album by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, which is uh, a band I've wanted to do on the show forever, and maybe for a birthday bonus, we'll, uh, we'll make that happen. But um, yeah, uh, it's an album by a band that were friends of the Beatles. They actually appeared on Magical Mystery Tour playing their song Death Cab for Cutie, which inspired the band to take their name. And yeah, Bonzo Dog Doodah Band is a really fun comedic version of what the Beatles were up to at this point in time. They weren't quite the same songwriters, so like, don't expect to have like the the long-lasting hits they have here. But if you give that record um, 45 minutes of your time, you're gonna have fun listening to it, and it it's gonna bring a smile on your face. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's my comparable album right there. Yeah, the Doodad Band's fun. I I gotta revisit that album i remember you showing it to me once and i've, I've heard it on a f- few other occasions too yeah i made you listen to it driving back from gyms once right yes yeah. <laughs> all right so in this here the final episode i'm gonna uh i'm gonna fucking hijack shit you guys think about that what i'm gonna fucking oh hijack shit i'm gonna uh i'm gonna go first on uh on rating 
Sure, why not? <laughs> it's fine. It's really, uh, I'm not, not going to die on the, on the hill of, no, you can't go first. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was figuring, is that it, no one really gave a shit too much. But um, I wanted to harken back first to what I drew attention to and reiterated probably more than once in the course of this, is that this album is really the birth of the album, as we've heard it before. Like, yeah, there have been albums like quote-unquote albums that have mattered before this and whatever and what have you but this is the first time that an album came and was like this is what everyone needs to do from now on like this is the template like everyone needs to make an album from here on out so this album is so fucking important for that reason in addition to everything that we've heard on the album so far so for me personally as a beatles album Sgt. Pepper gets a 9, because it's a very, very good album, and it has a lot of great stuff. It has a couple clunkers, like, it certainly has uh, Good Morning, Good Morning, like, which is not a great song, but on the other hand, it has A Day in the Life, it has Lovely Rita, it has Good Morning, Good Morning, or not Good Morning, Good Morning, uh, it has um, Good Day... <laughs> the other one I'm getting better sorry referring to my notes because I was getting confused um, and uh, like it, it, it's got a ton of like really really great uh, achievements in terms of like making rock music so it would be a nine for me normally but just for what this album has done it deserves at least a point so this is a 10 for me like no fucking question this is a 10 and uh, yeah just 10 for me so uh, yeah Patrick <laughs> All right. Uh, for, for a slightly different take. Patrick's going to give it a three. Uh, no, I'm not giving it a I three. I am getting my I'm Rundgren getting... revenge over here. <laughs> <laughs> the Beatles are a great band. Uh, they're super important to me. They're a band that uh, over the years I actually... Uh, oddly enough, like unlike most older bands, uh, they're they're a band that I actually kind of appreciate more, uh, and, and like the their mysteries like are still kind of revealing themselves to me. Uh, and I mean, they I, I think a lot of that is just because they uh, they excel uh, in two things that I really fucking appreciate about music: one, composition, and two really cool production these are just things that i've always loved about albums i I, uh you know and anything that like will progress those two things are always gonna you know be appreciated by me um i wish i could give this a higher rating uh but there's a few reasons why i'm giving this an eight out of ten which is my rating uh it is not my favorite Beatles album, uh, and I think out of the, uh, I guess what you would call like the Rubber Soul through uh, Abbey Road era, uh, it, it's not my least favorite. Uh, I, I think Let It Be would be like a seven, <laughs> but uh, I just uh, I need somewhere to go with with albums like. Revolver and Abbey Road, which I think are uh, clear fucking tens for me. Yep, um, I'm in the same camp. 
and uh and white album is honestly a nine uh, uh you know and there's some obnoxious clunkers on that album too but i think like it, it just it is so fucking badass at points this one just uh sergeant pepper's always felt a little goofy at uh at points to me and i think like uh, the sort of I don't know, like the 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 ride detachment that you get on like White Album and Abbey Road, where you know, like they're, they've they're clearly less optimistic. They're you know, like the the good trip is over. They're coming down at this point, and it, and it really, but it also like it it, it gives them a level of maturity uh, that I really appreciate. Uh, I think Magical Mystery Tour, uh, even though it's like not a proper album. For some reason, the experimentations do it a little more for me. Like, I, I feel like it carries on, like, a similar vibe, a similar tones uh, with the psychedelic shit. But it, it, I don't know. Uh, I really like Strawberry Fields Forever uh, and Fool on the Hill quite a bit. Uh, and I don't know. I... I complicate My complicated feelings on the Beatles are that, like, I kind of want people to relax a bit on their adulation of them because I don't want to ruin them for younger generations who might not understand because I think they are a band that should be appreciated you know and like for their place in history and, and certainly for their place in progressing uh, production and composition in pop music uh, but yeah I, I, I don't I think like people kind of are sick of hearing about them being the best all the time and I don't want to say they're the best but they they're they're worth talking about uh, <laughs> I don't know it, it's complicated right uh, well I'm a musician I, I'm a production nerd so of course of fucking course I'm gonna love the Beatles because that like that's like they're the source of so many so much shit that's been like you know that's meaningful to me personally Patrick S. Barry, not fucking Joe Schmo from fucking Ham Palace, Iowa. I don't know. Hi, my name is Patrick S. Barry. I come from the, the place that you said, Iowa. What's this about them Beatles? <laughs> the other one. That's uh, Slipknot, right? Are you talking about them yeah. Beatles? I don't want to hear some music. Right. Talk to me, Patrick. All right. How, how do you feel about uh, the, the Beatles? But which one? I, I have to fight off many Beatles in my daily life. I mean, uh, the fat one. You want to you want to talk about how great the Beatles are? I mean, fucking, you had a goddamn cartoon show, a little cartoon show in the '90s called Doug, and the fictional band in that show was called the Beats. So and they killer Tofu was a banger. <laughs> <laughs> so funny you brought them up because like. Who would that band like really be the most like in real life? Because they weren't like. I mean, they talked like the they Beatles. They were like kind of Brit. They were kind <laughs> of Britpop. So like, were they like pulp kind of? <laughs> were they like the pulp of the Doug universe? You bring up an interesting point. There has never been yeah. an analog to the Beatles since the Beatles. Yeah. Not the Beats. Yeah, the Beats gonna, were basically just like, all right, there was never another one, so let's just have Beatles for like, I don't know, '92. Yeah, they they work yeah. in like fucking like Onion Town or wherever the fuck Doug lives. All right, I, I, I fucking 
Honker Burger. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget uh, Tom, Tom Rabeer and I were talking about how D- Doug can be summarized in one word, and that word is honk. <laughs> um, all right, so here we go. On, on, on Vice.com, the beats are certainly inspired by the Beatles, but it's also the Rolling Stones, the Who, and many other groups. If you notice with uh, the band... It's Britpop, yeah. yeah. No, that's bullshit. Basically, that's yeah. bullshit. So, they're the Beatles. They're not fucking the Who or anything like that. All right, Sasser, what's I your... I they're uh, not fucking the Who. <laughs> Sasser, what's your rating? Uh, this is an easy 10 for me. This is like Desert Island Discs. Like, it's... It, uh, it's I've been in love with this record since the moment I heard it as a teenager, and it's just... It's just... It's game over. Like, it's... Yep. <laughs> Oh, it oh, it's so good. No, I got you, um, Jim. I am going to give it a nine. Um, I'm not going to give it a ten because, like I said, there's that kind of dip in the album where I feel like if those two songs were stripped out, I might be able to give it a ten. But also, uh, like Patrick was saying, I need somewhere to go because I feel like I think Revolver might be my favorite Beatles album. Um. I will say yeah, though, it was fucking great. Yeah, no, it, it, it was one of those things. Like it, growing up, like I never understood the, you know, the all the Beatles are the greatest band in the world, and and this, this, and that. And as I got older, and like I said, I, I, I when I was building a studio, I was doing my discography dives where I was listening, um, all the way through certain bands' discographies, and I did the Beatles, and I was like, holy shit, like. This band has made several, 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 several amazing songs, uh, and and and, <laughs> and I was just like, they're pretty good at it. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I was like, holy fuck! Like, there's way more songs than I realized that I like. Uh, and it was in that moment that I had that realization. I was like, people who say that they don't like the Beatles haven't fucking listened to the Beatles. Is I think what it comes down to. Oh, uh, what an I, original thought. Uh, <laughs> no, that's no. That's, I'm, I mean, I'm being a dick. Sorry. It, I mean, but it's no, true. That's so true. It's fucking true because <laughs> that's very true. that's exactly what happened to me. I was like, I don't understand what the fucking big deal is, and then you listen through everything, and you're like, oh, all right, okay, I get it now. I've been enlightened. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just I I at this point I don't understand people who are like, oh, the Beatles suck, because that's... You can't say that. Unless you're being a contrarian asshole. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like when, you know, Boston fans say the Yankees suck. Well, they don't. They're pretty good. Well, they were. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's just... Yeah, I don't know. I'm giving it a nine to wrap it up, because I'm getting a little drunk. It gives us a uh, 9.25. And guys, I gotta say, like, I'm a little disappointed that this didn't give us a 10 like fucking Anima did. Because frankly, like... I'm sorry. I like Sgt. Pepper as much as I like Anima. And like, what the fuck? What are we doing here anymore? Apparently I'm nothing sorry. anymore, I... but... <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. Let me tell you. If... If the Beatles, if the Beatles had done a song about anal fisting, ten across the board. <laughs> <laughs> and now, stink fist by that's the Beatles. Not, that's not what fixing a hole is about. 
I thought that was what fixing a hole is about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a fist, fisting a hole. <laughs> yeah, you got to put your fist in the hole to keep it from, from leaking. Uh, oh, yeah. All right, fellas. Fisting so before we, uh, before we adjourn here, uh, I want to uh, get a uh, mild commitment out of my, uh, my cohorts here. Can we do uh, birthday bonuses for the rest of the year? Can we do that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. No, I, I've, I've already got one picked out. Don't All worry. right, sweet. Um, it's King Gizzard's and, new uh, one. No, I, King. I say this now just because I can't do mine in my birthday month. I'm going to have to do an advance, so I need to talk to you about this. Yes. Right. No, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course, my dear boy. No, it's, hey, I, it, it, real quick, though. Guys, you got to oh, do fuck. a net worth here. Oh, shit. Got to do a net worth. <sighs> Gentlemen, please tell me, what is Yoko Ono's net worth? <laughs> oh, shit! Oh, fuck! Ooh. Wasn't expecting that, dude. I don't know. Uh, price is right rules, guys. Close to that going over. John, we'll start with you. What is Yoko Ono's net worth? Oh, you fucked you, oh. boo! Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> Oh well, she's got she's got the Lennon estate, so it's like so it's not going to be as low as you might think what her net worth would be by herself. Um, oh God, I'm gonna go. I don't know, two hundred million. All right, Christopher. Four hundred fifty million. All right, Patrick. All right, I'll be a good feminist tonight and say six hundred million. Patrick takes it. Yoko Ono is worth a staggering seven hundred million dollars. Oh shit! Wow. Girl boss, holy shit! Yeah, good for her. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. she's fucking eighty-nine. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah, yeah that's right. no, she she's she was a lot older than than John. I didn't realize that. Yeah, she's like she's my grandma's age who, who passed away a few years ago. Yeah, Jim, you were uh, you were in Iceland when the Imagine Peace Tower was lit, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, she basically commissioned this uh, light structure to be built in Iceland that just shoots this like bright ass tower to the sky, and basically it goes until John's birthday, until the day he dies, and like it's lit from like that short period of the year. And it's just called the Imagine Peace Tower. And it's, like, super cool. So, like, whenever you're in Reykjavik around that time, like, you just see this, like, fucking spotlight going off into the sky. It's it's awesome. And it just shoots straight into one yeah. poor asshole's bedroom window who can't sleep I mean, for that I'll, entire I'll I mean, yeah, 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 that alien that lives straight up from fucking <laughs> Reykjavik in, like, space. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she's done a lot of great shit. And, you know, like, uh, she she gets a lot of shit. For like you know, supposedly breaking up the Beatles, which is you know it's very short-sighted. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's bullshit. And even Paul himself, what you know, he says on the Get Back documentary. Yeah, he like, called that out in the Get Back documentary. Yeah, yeah, uh, but like, yeah, and, and you know, you, her music is probably not going to be your thing. It's not certainly not my thing. But like, yeah, she's done some great shit. She's she's done some good activism and and. Uh, actually, like in the, the sort of like oh noise genre, she's kind of done some inspirations. What do you get? From <laughs> I, I I can't tell you guys on the air because of some people who listen to the show. But 
Uh, I'll, I'll back channel you. Wonderful. All right. So for everyone playing at home, we are doing some alternative nation uh, gamifying. <laughs> and today's hotline or headline, whatever the fuck hotline. you want to call it. Hotline. 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 Cannon hotline. Call one nine hundred alternative nation. <laughs> <laughs> We want you to whistle blow on your local alternative artist who's fucking right. All right. So today's alternative nation hotline. Nikki Six attacks Eddie Vedder getting on plane. This is by Brett Buchanan. March 7th, 2022. We're going to play 10 questions, guys. I'm going to give you guys right. 10 yes or no questions. You can ask me anything you want. Yes or no. And then at the end of it, you gotta guess what happened here. Alright? Dun 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 Alright, so once again, here's the headline. Nikki Six attacks Eddie Vedder getting on plane. Alright. Yeah, those, those guys have like famously kind of had a beef, right? I feel like Yeah, they've, uh, they've had a little bit of a beef. Before. Uh that that is definitely true. Uh and before we start this. Before we start this, I am going to give you guys a little bit of a, um, a mulligan. I'm going to let you guys just ask me one question that doesn't count against anything. You each get one question that doesn't count against anything. So read that headline and in that headline say, is there something here that isn't right? And try to deconstruct that. So, all right. Uh, Jim, you're on my top left. So, Jim, you get my first bonus question. Try to deconstruct this headline. Nikki Six attacks Eddie Vedder getting on plane. Um, does it involve COVID? Dude, you are zooming way too far fucking out. Just, again, read that headline. Nikki Six attacks Eddie Vedder getting on plane. Um, could have been I am giving attack. you a hint by saying just reread the headline and ask me something about that headline. Nikki Six attacks Eddie Vedder getting on plane. Did Eddie Vedder actually get on a plane? Possibly. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Perfect. Who the fuck knows or cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like... That's that's irrelevant, uh, John. Oh boy, uh, was Nikki Six just talking trash while actively getting on a plane himself? Fifty percent yes, fifty percent no, in that order. Patrick, Man. what is it with like aging? fucking hair metal guys and like their fashion just doesn't progress beyond like 1998 look at this guy like the, he's got one of them fucking paths uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that's all I have to say um, hey strip right. club dress codes are very stringent <laughs> okay Nikki Six attacks they better getting on plane Oh, 
Was this a physical attack? No. All right. All right. So, hints I will give you guys from that. Uh, Nikki Six attacks Eddie Vedder getting on plane. There was no physical attack. Um, Eddie Vedder was not physically getting on a plane. Damn. And that's all you need. So, yeah. Was, here's your headline. I'm up. I'm upset that the, it wasn't physical. So I was, I was going to ask if Eddie Vedder was responsible for the 9-11 attacks. Uh, he wasn't. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> so, Nikki Six attacks Eddie Vedder getting on plane. <laughs> and I'll remind you, Nikki Six did not physically attack Eddie Vedder. And Eddie Vedder did not physically get on plane. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Jim, you're up first. Ten questions. Ah. Uh, does this involve something that was said on social media? Mm, potentially. I'll say yes, but yes. Mm. John. Was dick size involved? No. Patrick. Uh, was Eddie Vedder's personal hygiene called into question? <laughs> Shockingly, no. <laughs> yeah. Jim. I, I mean, I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking at this picture, and I'm starting to think that Eddie Vedder and Nikki Six might actually be the same person. Might be Bruce Springsteen, too. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> like Animorphs. <laughs> oh, man. Um... I'm trying. I I feel like this doesn't go as deep as I think it. It's a Brett article, so I'm like trying to, trying to get into Brett's mind here. Um, it's not Brett deep. Buchanan. Did did Nikki Six actually specifically call Eddie Vedder out? Yes. John? Did Nikki Six have anything to actually say about Vetter's musical content? No. Patrick. Was Eddie Vedder's propensity for environmental activism called into question as a result of getting on a aircraft? I'm not going to say no overall, but I don't think that's the crux here. Okay. Okay. Jim. Uh, is Nikki Six blaming the gas crisis on Eddie Vedder? Not this time. <laughs> oh, man, this goes deep. <laughs> 
Christ. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Alright, Sasser, you get one more before uh, we gotta give up here. <laughs> I, I don't know, I just, there, there's some... There's something about that photo of Nikki Six where I feel like I feel like the like the Vigo scene in Ghostbusters 2 where he's just like sucking my soul into the computer staring at his face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, did Nikki Six um, Did Nikki Six question where Vetter was going? Sort of. Sort of. I think you're closest to it. So, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think we're gonna call you closest. So, at this juncture, here's what we got. <clears throat> Wait, we're not giving final guesses? I'm looking at the uh, timeline going, and I'm reading this, and I'm, yeah. I've, I, I, I've got a final guess, though. Give me your, give me your final oh, guess. You do. Alright, uh, my final guess is did Nikki Six and Eddie Vedder pass each other in the airport and Nikki Six went Hey Eddie, where are you headed? And Eddie went, oh I'm going to Atlanta. And he went, alright cool, see you later. And that was the end of the No, what he said was I'm going to Ligma. <laughs> and Nikki was like, where? <laughs> <laughs> Ligma bones! <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, did the did the suck it move from uh, like 2000, you know? Yeah, good stuff. Well, was that a WWF? Was, yeah, was that New World Order? That was like fucked it Jericho's thing, right? Oh, Jericho's, yeah. yeah. Well, the crazy thing is, Jericho, it uh, technically won with uh, Jim's latest edition there. <laughs> so what? here's what happened. <laughs> Motley yeah, Crew. I finally fucking won one! Motley Crew bassist oh, Nikki Six discussed his view with Pearl Jam singer Eddie Vedder in a new interview with Paul, uh, Paulo Baron and Regis Tadu, calling him a hypocrite for getting on private planes. He said about his songwriting, I'm not trying to be the guy that wrote the Crew song Bastard from 1983 Shout Out the Devil album, because I'm not the guy that wrote Bastard. I wrote the song about somebody that ripped us off. I am the guy that if you fuck with me, I will fuck you back. And that's what that song is about. You take a swipe of my band, I'll take a swipe of your band. You try to hurt my family, which is my band, I'll try to hurt you. That is not something to be proud of. Laughs. What? I thought Nikki so Six like hates his band, though. This is what I got, man. Alright. <laughs> wait, so, wait, but, but, hold on. So, Pearl Jam wrote a song about Motley Crue? Yeah, it was called Jeremy. <laughs> no! <laughs> No, apparently, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, like, there's this weird, like, uh, fucking beef emerging between Nikki Six and, uh, Eddie Vedder that, uh, no one else is yeah. privy to besides, uh, <laughs> Nikki Six. Well, I mean, I don't know, and like, Brett the Buchanan. only thing I could think of is, like, and Brett Buchanan, yeah, yeah, like, Eddie Vedder is, is kind of known as an earthy, crunchy sort of singer, and, and like, Nikki Six obviously is, you know, I, I don't know, fucking Captain Heroin, Mick Soul Patch. I don't know. But like, I, I could imagine them having some disagreements on things, uh, uh, you know, without going too further down that rather rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's how these things work. So he's not going to Ligma or Updog. <laughs> Probably not to either. 
All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, thank you all for joining us on this run of 100 episodes. <laughs> it's been a blast to do, and uh, I wouldn't count us yeah. out on doing birthday bonuses in the future, so definitely keep us in your feed. Thanks to uh, John for being our first guest. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having right. me. <laughs> and I'd like to thank uh, Jim and Patrick on indulging me for this dumb idea I had for a podcast on uh, August 21st of 2017. It's been a pleasure. Wow. Yeah. Fucking wow. Oh, I can't believe we've been doing it for four and a half years. Yeah. I, d- I just want to say, uh, you know, thanks to everybody who's been listening uh, over the last couple of years. I know when we look at the analytics, you are out there. We know you're listening. None of you leave us any fucking feedback, even though we've asked nicely several times. Uh, so, you know, if you're really out there, you're really listening, please leave us some feedback. And I will say, too, uh, the four of us on this call right now, we've all put out some pretty damn good music over the last five years. Fucking go check that shit out. Between the four of us, we have an extensive catalog of shit we've put out. That's Absolutely. not actually shit. It's pretty good. <laughs> fucking go check it Zag out. Is, Zag's fucking five years yeah. old now? Yep. That's got yeah, ease that into the noise. Zag, Rampikes. We have the difference engine. We have fucking Gremlins. We have so much shit. Smell, desk. Patrick S. Barry Solo, Desk, Passive Melt, Witness, uh, the the John Orgasm <laughs> Sex Times. <laughs> it's not out yet. That's not that okay. Up. Sorry. Yeah, but that'll be out no, at some no, point. No, yeah, seriously. Yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> we'll, we'll put out other episodes in the future. So definitely, uh, yeah, check us out in the future because we'll do more shit. Yeah. And I'll be doing jukebox zeros for for uh, for the time being as well. If you if you're not sick of hearing my voice yet, so check that out. I guess. And I've got a clean shot. Are doing a movie podcast still? I don't know. I don't know. Podcast may be uh, on the way out by then. So in the meantime, I'm Christopher, <laughs> and I gotta go out of here. I'm Patrick, and uh, I gotta go uh, tend to, to my uh, sorghum. And I'm Jim, and I've said for the last four and a half years, we'll see you in hell. But you know what? We'll see you in heaven. We'll see you in heaven! Because we're, <laughs> we're all taking the suicide. Would you know my name? If we saw you in heaven. Zero science. 
Lils and Patrick are two local musicians from the New England area whose minimal accomplishments have left them thoroughly unqualified to judge bands and artists who have been more successful than they ever could be. And yet, their passion for bad music persists on Jukebox Zeros, the podcast that takes a retrospective look at the worst albums of all time. From The Shags to Attila, from Cyberpunk to Scream, if there's a band that has an album they're ashamed of, Lils and Patrick will be there. Share their love on Jukebox Zeros, now on the Zero Science Network and wherever podcasts may be found. Thank you.